Well, I'm really thankful to see all of you, both online and in person and in the overflow area. Y'all, this is a great Sunday, a very, very special Sunday. Number one, because it commemorates Jesus' entry into Jerusalem the last time physically before he would lay down his life to pardon the sins of the world. Palm Sunday. This is a great, great Sunday. It's also a great Sunday because our own Tony Giordino is going to be baptized into that same death, burial, and resurrection in Jesus. Amen. That'll be a great, great moment. Man, we're so excited about that. Now, because we're spread out in this area and in the overflow room, we are going to move immediately after the services, all of us together, into our unremodeled area, if that's a word. Um, we're going to go into that. You know, Tony made a great point. He said, I love the fact that I'm going to be baptized in an area that's under construction. He said, because I'm under construction. And I think that's a great truth. So because we want to share in that wonderful moment together, we'll all just kind of exit out, exit out through, through a couple of those ways. We'll direct your way. You might want to hold on to your young one's hands because uh, I get lost in this building all the time, and we want to make sure that everybody stays safe. Okay, great Sunday, great Sunday. Listen, this ride that Jesus would take into the city before his crucifixion. It was prophesied. It was prophesied. But no one then saw it as a symbol of victory. I mean, there wasn't anyone that interpreted here, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the mighty conqueror, riding a beast of burden. Into the, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't viewed like that. In fact, the world at that time had a very short-lived interest into what Jesus was doing, and Jesus would explain that. He would say that his kingdom is not of this world. You remember that? His kingdom is not of this world. His values and purposes don't coincide with that of the world's. So riding on the back of this donkey and being crucified on a cross, on a cross, that's... That's just not that big of a deal to the world. Now, in less than a week, these people who were singing his praises and laying down their coats and the palm branches, in less than a week, these people would do an about face, and those mighty words of praise would turn into shouts of curses demanding his death as he would exit the city carrying a cross. The interest factor is completely different with the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus' followers understood the world's take on the cross. And in contrast, they understood that in taking up their own cross as a follower of Jesus would mean a life of self-denial. And self-denial is like a bad word today in our culture because you're not supposed to deny yourself. You're supposed to be all that you were created to be. You're supposed to indulge self. You're supposed to be that person, whatever that is. But that's not the example that Jesus gave. In fact, he taught by word and by life that what he treasured above everything else was the will of the Father. Even when Jesus wanted something else, his first choice was always not what he wanted, but what the Father wanted. And the interests of the Father don't line up with the interests of the world. 
Look how God's word says it. Look at the screen. One of his followers said, because of that cross, because of the cross of Christ, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. Look at this from the message paraphrase. Because of that cross, I've been crucified in relation to the world, set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the little patterns that they dictate. They no longer call the shots for a Christ follower. Look at this from the contemporary English. Because of this cross, the world is dead as far as I'm concerned, and I'm dead as far as the world is concerned. And finally, the Living Bible paraphrase. Because of that cross, my interest in all the attractive things of the world was killed long ago. And the world's interest in me is also long dead. Because of the cross, we're dead to the world, and the world is dead to us. Now, that's a nice little phrase, and it's going to be our outline in a second, but what exactly does that mean? I mean, I still live in the world. If I'm to be dead to the world, the world's to be dead to me, and that sounds like a lot of deadness all around. What does that mean? Well, let's see first what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the opinion of other people in the world carried the same weight with the Christ follower. Example, a salesman was just knocking it out of the park in his company. So they had their uh, quarterly meeting. They came in, and the boss just said, dude, what are you doing? You are blowing away everybody else in the sale of our product. What are you doing? And you know what the guy said? It's very simple. I just go door to door, and I say this. Let me show you something that your neighbors say you can't afford. That just rose up all sorts of feelings inside those people. Show those neighbors what I can't afford. That approach is not to be as effective with the Christ follower because although we care about our neighbors, impressing them is not our aim. But when the Christ follower forgets the cross, then the world just rushes in as this incredible influence, and we just struggle day after day. Look how one leader put it. Look at this. We have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us and have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we've become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. You know who said that. It's the best president we've ever had. Abraham Lincoln, dude. He he knew that the cross of Christ would wake us up as a nation to the necessity. Did you see that? The necessity of redeeming grace, of necessity, the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Man, what a, what a reminder. N.T. Wright gives his view on our struggle to be dead to the world. Look what he says. When we adore God, become like what we worship, we take on the character of our object, of worship. Those who worship money become eventually human calculating machines. Those who worship sex become obsessed with their own attractiveness or prowess. 
Those who worship power become more and more ruthless. Those who worship God discover what it means to be fully alive. When God is awakened within us through worship and praise, the world just begins to lose some of its luster. It begins to lose some of its pull. Here's our outline. I've already told you. Because of the cross, number one, we are dead to the world. Andrew Bonar, a great man of prayer, had three rules that he tried to live by. Number one was he tried not to speak with another individual before he first spoke with Christ. And he tried not to do anything with his hands until he had spent some time on his knees. And he tried not to read any of the newspapers until he had already spent some time in the Word of God. Good rules. What are we saying here? Because of the cross, we are dead to the world. Joseph Stephen Akari from Tanzania was in the Mexico City Olympics back in 1968. He had a fall in his long-distance race, badly cut and dislocated his knee, and he refused to quit. And after the, after the race, a reporter caught up with him and said, what's going on? Why didn't you stop? And his answer has become very, very popular. He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. <laughs> my country sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Because of the cross, we are dead to the world, to what the world thinks, to the common sense of the world. Howard Hendricks, a theologian and pastor, tells a story of a friend of his who was called into a boss's office one day. And when he got there, the boss offered him this lofty promotion, great, great raise, nice pay raise with extra benefits, prestige that was going to go with the position that he would assume in this company. The boss said, now there's only one catch. If you want this job, you're going to have to sacrifice everything. The job must come before your family. Take it or leave it. And Howard Hendricks said, you know what he did? He left it. He walked out of that door never to return again. And the friend explained it as a freedom he had not yet experienced. He said no to a driven lifestyle at the expense of his family. He knew he didn't need to impress anyone. He knew he needed to keep his main priorities the main priority. <laughs> He refused to be seduced to the outward trappings of success at the expense of hearing that inner, still, small voice of God. Why? Because the cross of Christ makes us dead to the world. Rick Warren wrote an insightful piece about making the most of time. You talk about being dead to the world. Try this one on for size. Look. He writes, it took me until I was 55 years old to think about all this in any detail, and by that time I had lived through over 2,800 Saturdays. I got to thinking that if I lived to be 75, I only had about 1,000 of them left to enjoy. So I went to a toy store and bought every single marble they had. I ended up having to visit three toy stores to round up 1,000 marbles. 
took them home, put them inside a large clear plastic container right here in the shack next to my gear. Every Saturday since then, I've taken one marble out and thrown it away. When you fully comprehend that there is more to life than just here and now, and you realize that life is just preparation for eternity, you'll begin to live differently. You'll start living in light of eternity, and that will color how you handle every relationship, task, and circumstance. Suddenly, many activities, goals, and even problems that seemed so important will appear trivial, petty, and unworthy of your attention. The closer you live to God, the smaller everything else appears. When you live in the light of eternity, your values change. You use your time and money more wisely. You place a higher premium on relationships and character instead of fame or wealth or achievements or even fun. Your priorities are reordered. Keeping up with trends, fashions, and popular values just doesn't matter as much anymore. What is he talking about? Because of the cross... We are becoming more and more dead to the values and the interests of the world. It changes the way we look at things. And because of the cross, number two, the world, it's not just me becoming dead to the world. The world becomes more and more dead to me. Have you noticed? <laughs> I mean, have you watched any news on any channel recently? Have you noticed when a reporter shoves a microphone in an athlete's face right after he has a great game, and the athlete might be quick to say, man, I just want to praise the Lord Jesus. I just can't believe he gave me the wherewithal to have fun. They quickly go to another question, and those little spots of somebody giving credit to God are not referred to later on when they show it later on on SportsCenter. Get the Jesus stuff out of there. You guys, have you noticed that the world just doesn't want to be bothered with the cross and the followers of Christ? We, we are actually entering into another era that the world is moving from passive indifference to the cross of Christ to active opposition to any follower of Jesus. It's, unless we think, oh, well, world has never been like this before. You guys, this has been going on, this opposition to the cross of Christ, this has been going on since, well, that would be since the cross of Christ. <laughs> There's nothing new. In the 16th century, John Knox, he cried out for a return to the cross in an established religion full of abuse and, and wickedness. And he was greatly persecuted by Queen Mary. Y'all remember her nickname? Yeah, Bloody Mary. But Knox never backed down. And after suffering much in his life for his faith, it was actually written on his tombstone, he feared man so little because he feared God so much. The cross, the world just didn't want to have anything to do with them. And countless martyrs have lived true to their convictions because of the cross. In just the last century, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would die in a Nazi concentration camp because of his faith in the cross of Christ. Look how he said it. Christ kept himself from suffering till his hour had come, but when it did come, he met it as a free man, seized it, and mastered it. We're not Christ, but if we want to be Christians, 
we must have some share in Christ's large heartedness by acting with responsibility and in freedom when the, when the hour of danger comes. This kind of language doesn't make me want to side up with the world to avoid danger. This makes me just want to run right into it. Let's see how Jesus is going to get us through this. It's just a different way to live. Bonhoeffer was a living and dying example of the world losing interest in him as a follower of Christ. And so, frankly, the world just literally wanted him out. And the powers that be at that time took him out. So how do we embrace and accept our deadness to the world and the reciprocal, the world's deadness to us? Now, I'm up preaching and acting like I've got something together. And those of you who know me know that that's, you know, foolhardy. I don't have it together. Now, this isn't easy. The easy way would be to slip back into the world's interests and to have the world interested in us again. I mean, going through life with the world loving you, that's good stuff. But isn't there something that strikes inside of you that I don't want to be one of those people? Maybe it's because I'm 60. I'm just an old toot. I just don't want to do what we've talked about before where you just, you just kind of coast into death. And I want to go swinging we were called to move above the interests of the world and the only way to do that is for you to fulfill the purpose and function for which you were created you were made to worship and praise that's what you are you are made in his image and you are a worshiper when we ascribe glory to God, when we lift up his holy name, when we pour out our praise to him in song and prayer and word and deed by loving each other, it lifts us above the interests of the world. It just changes everything. Years ago in the pioneer days of aviation, a pilot was making a flight around the world. At the time, it was a big deal. And after a stop and refuel, he was back up in the air a couple of hours, and he heard a noise in his plane, and he realized it was a rat. Somehow, while he was on the ground refueling the last time, the rat had gotten in, and he was gnawing on some of the vital cables that would actually control the flaps on the back of the aircraft. Well, he can't just put He wasn't in the time where they had, you know, what do you call that automatic thing? Yeah, they didn't have autopilot. He was by himself, for Pete's sake. So it was a serious situation. It was causing him a lot of anxiety, and he realized he was at least two hours away from the next airport. But then it dawned on him. He remembered that a rat is a rodent, and rodents weren't made for the heights. They were made for the ground and under the ground. So he pulled gently back on that stick, and he went up another 1,000 feet and then another thousand and another thousand and another until he got to 20,000 feet and guess what happened to that gnawing on the cable? It magically disappeared. <laughs> With that rat problem removed, he realized it was because it wasn't made to exist in the atmosphere of the heights. More than two hours later, he landed safely and he found and removed the dead rat. 
in the same way with the interests of the world, pulling all of us, they can't survive in the heights of worship and praise. When we worship, we arise. The pull of this world and its interests lose its grip. The cross of Christ will never lose its power in us. Never. Father, remind us of these truths that we were made for the heights. We were not made for the kingdoms of this world. We were made for the kingdom of heaven. And in that light, may we forever cherish the old rugged cross. Hear our hearts, Father, as we sing in Jesus' name.